My name is Lieutenant Aldo Rain. And I need me eight soldiers. We're gonna be dropped into France, dressed as civilians. We're gonna be doing one thing, one thing only. Killing Nazis. Nine, 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 nine! Sound good? Yes, sir! Welcome people, my name is Lieutenant Tim Collins and I'm putting together a special team and we're going to be doing one thing and one thing only, making podcasts. Sound good? <laughs> that is absurd. That's what I like to hear, but every person who listens to this podcast owes me an Apple rating and a review and I want my reviews and y'all will get me my reviews taken from all your fingertips on those iPhones. Yes, sir. Danny, welcome back. <laughs> What an opening. Well done. So I thought I'd just vary it up a little bit. Um, mm. I thought this was a good opportunity to do that. Bravo, sir. Thank you. So uh, welcome back, everyone. This is the Movie for Two podcast. I'm not a lieutenant, but I am Tim Collins. <laughs> and with me, as always, is Danny Lee. And we're here to talk all things Inglorious Bastards. Woohoo! Now, you may be wondering about the timing of this. Um, why this movie and why now? Well, because we asked you, our audience on Instagram, at Movie for Two Podcast, what you wanted next. And we said we'd honour what we deemed to be the best suggestion. And Inglorious Bastards was put forward by a good friend of the pod, Adam Chapman. You can find him at Adam Chappie, an account dedicated to the glorious worlds of cats in planes. <laughs> you can also find him at Biz- Bizjet Mobile. How's that for a plug? Chappie, if you ever need an in-flight content provider for your clients, we're happy to do episodes on your request. <laughs> every week quid pro quo but in all seriousness please do keep the suggestions uh, coming in we listen to all of them and we consider every single one this week we also had suggestions uh for the castle the simpsons uh aladdin get out jurassic park uh parent trap and a few others um we thought about all of those but we went for this in glorious bastards because ultimately it's a it's a classic war movie and right now we have 1917, another war movie, out in cinemas at the moment. And so I thought that this was a, a good chance for us to tackle an absolute heavyweight in this category in a rather timely fashion. Mm-hmm. And after doing Guy Ritchie last episode, uh, doing Tarantino felt very natural, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Um, so you ready to go? Absolutely. Let's so start. I'm going to get into the bullet points first and then we'll go into all of our segments from there. So Inglorious Bastards was released in Australia on the 20th of August 2009. Stars Brad Pitt, Christopher Waltz, Melanie Laurent, Diane Kruger, Michael Fassbender, Eli Roth and plenty of others. This movie was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, who needs no introduction. <laughs> it had a budget of $70 million and made $321 million, so it's a success by any measure. An IMDb score, a very lofty one, of 8.3 out of 10. And Danny, I'm going to put this to you. This is Quentin Tarantino's best movie. It's definitely my favourite movie. And it was my – it's the one that – when I watched this movie, it made me want to go back and watch all those other movies. Like I'd seen, you know, Kill Bill before. I'd seen Pulp Fiction, seen Reservoir Dogs. But after watching this movie, I was like, oh, it's not just about all the gore and the violence and the swearing and all the rest of it, even though there obviously is a lot of gore and you know, scalping and all sorts of – <laughs> it's disgusting. But it's, it really made me want to go back and watch the other movies from a completely different lens 
And now every time he has a movie come out, I'm like, I have to see that. Yeah, so I think that this is the movie that made Tarantino sort of more accessible to a wider audience. That's a good word. I think it's still quintessentially Tarantino in a way where you've got the sort of the 70s Western aesthetic. You've got like the yellow title sequence Mm -hmm. and the, the yellow subtitles. You've got sort of these big, huge characters that sort of almost push towards parody in a way but don't quite cross that line and that's an incredible sort of feat in itself. Yeah. You've got the heavily stylized violence, like you mentioned before, with the, the scalping and <laughs> oh, you know, carving Nazi symbols into guys' heads. You've got the sort of the emphasis on dialogue and sort of, and this is a long movie as well. It's you know the better part of three hours, but in contrast to some other Tarantino films, the flow of this is so much easier to tackle. So I think you know when you're watching Pulp Fiction, for example, like you're loving it, but at the same time you're kind of like. What's going on here? Like, what, mm. what is this? Yeah. And then when you're watching Jackie Brown, you're sort of trying to keep your head in the plot and the way that it's sort of weaving and meandering between a lot of different things. And even I think for like a non-American audience, I think that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood can be a little bit like that. You know, it's it's themes are very Hollywood-centric. And mm. I think if you're a non-American, I think that you can sometimes be sitting there and being, okay, where's this going? How does that fit in? What's the point of this? Why am I watching Brad Pitt in a car for 15 minutes? Exactly. But this, I think, this takes everything that Tarantino does so brilliantly but puts it into a like a package that's easier to follow. And I think because of that, you sort of enjoy those Tarantino flourishes more because you're not spending all of your time trying to wrap your head around it. Absolutely. Totally agree. So this podcast is obviously called Movie for Two. What about this movie makes it a movie for two in your eyes? Well, I didn't realise how little English is actually spoken in this movie until this watch. Yeah, there's so, such little, so many subtitles. Yeah. yeah. And chapter three, which is uh, German Night in Paris, there's actually no English in it at all. Really? Yeah. I had to look that up. Like, I didn't notice it while you're watching it. But I love that because, like, most of the dialogue's obviously in French or German. But because it's subtitled, you have to sit there and watch every single minute of it. You can't be sitting there playing on your phone. You can't be distracted. So it's just you get to sit there with someone and just watch it and be completely absorbed into this story. Yeah, so uh, get the hell off those phones, people, even though I asked you to get tapping on those earlier with the reviews. (laughs) Just make a commitment to sit down and watch this movie. So the reason why I think this is a movie for two is a little bit similar. Um, I think that this is something that you can just watch over and over and over and over again. Now, I think that Tarantino movies, I think that they they get better as you watch them. More and more times, I think you get more and more out of them. It's one of the great things about them. Each time you find sort of new nuances, new flourishes, new dialogue, details. So it's like this movie is a good chance to like you and your significant other, like you just settle in, grab the popcorn, even better get a bottle of wine and nine beers. <laughs> And you know what's coming, like, you're going to laugh, you're going to love it anyway. It goes for two and a half hours. It's an absolute riot and it fills an entire Friday night. It doesn't feel that long either. I read it was meant to be, it was originally over three hours and they had to cut it back. I'm not surprised given it's Tarantino. (laughs) Yeah, but it doesn't, I was sitting there watching it thinking, oh, we, you know, we knew it was going to be two and a half hours long, but it didn't feel long. Yeah, it's a it's a movie for two in a sort of in a different sense. This it's sort of like a this is not something it's about like oh there's a you know there's a theme for guys or a theme for mm. girls or you know there's a theme for, for for whatever something like that. It's more that this is such an absorbing two and a half hour watch that it's like sit down with your partner and just get into it and you're gonna love those two and a half hours. Mm. And do you think even because it's like broken up into chapters? I know a lot of his movies do that, so you can almost pause if you want to and be like, all right, let's go make some more popcorn or like toilet break. You can do that. <laughs> so our first segment. Perfection imperfection. So that takes us, we're going to start with perfection as always. Do you want to start? I do. Go on. Because I don't think this even barely counts as the movie. Okay. (laughs) But the production credits roll in 
Yeah. The first one you see, the Weinstein Company. Do you have this for perfection? Because he's a bastard. Oh. <laughs> right. So I was I was like, are you calling Weinstein perf? I was like, no. so I had this point later for imperfection. And I was like, where are you going with this? <laughs> no. I literally his name came up and I'm like, I'm watching Bastards. Yes. This is great. So good. <laughs> oh, that's a great spin on that. I was like, what is she going with here? She's going way off script here. What's happened? All right, what did you start with for, for perfection? So I think it's worth just sort of stating from the top that I think this movie is basically five long scenes. Yes. Do, you, do you agree with that? You've got the opening scene at the farm. Yep. You've got the inglorious bastards being assembled by Brad Pitt and then put into France and killing Nazis. Mm-hmm. You then got the setup of the movie premiere being shifted to Shoshana. Shoshana? Shoshana. That's a hard one. My tongue can't get that one out. <laughs> Shosana, I think it is. So the movie being shifted to her cinema, then you've got the bar scene, and then you've got the premiere at the cinema. Mm. So there's a, there's a simplicity about the way that this is structured and what we're talking about before about the way that you can follow this so easily that even though there's so much packed into these sequences, the dialogue is so rich, mm. overall there's a simplicity to the way that this comes together and I think with it essentially being five different scenes or five different sequences makes this really, really accessible and such a great watch. Yeah, that's a really good point. And how good – so the opening chapter is Once Upon a Time – in Nazi-occupied France. Yeah, did you get the sort of nod to sort of what then has come 10 years later with yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood there? Yeah, it references his idea of not retelling history but reframing it and like giving it an alternate ending almost. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is obviously not historically accurate. This isn't, And that's not the point. Like he's just using the power of film. It's a film within a film and he's just – absolutely bonkers like I'm not a film nerd I like I know we're making a podcast about movies but I'm in no way a film nerd so a lot of them roll straight over my head but he has like opening with that and then having things like there's a Cinderella reference with the the shoe that fits the Bridget's uh, shoe and then in that first scene in the farmhouse that pipe that has (laughs) under you call that a pipe (laughs) That's like a Sherlock Holmes pipe. Yeah. It's really comically absurd and it just, I love the way he ties all that stuff up. You know, you're not watching a historical drama. Yeah. I think there was a little nod too to the Dirty Dozen with the way that you've got this sort of bunch of misfits going in sort of behind enemy lines. There's a sort of overt reference there I've to another film. I've never seen that movie. It's from 1957, so it's one that you've got to do a little bit of uh, mm. digging around to source these days. Can I give you one of my other uh, perfect things? Of course. So I think that the opening scene at the farm – and then the scene in the bar have got to be two of the best bits of script writing in history. Yeah. So if you think about them, both of them go for like 20 minutes. Yeah, they do. They go for so long. <laughs> and you can't take your eyes off it at any point. Uh-huh. When you've got Lander in uh, La Petite's farm at the beginning and he goes through these speeches and he's got this monologue about rats and all this sort of stuff and it keeps going and going and going and the suspense just builds and builds and builds and builds and you know that he's just trying to break him really, really slowly and you can see the evilness in him that he's enjoying how slow he's doing it all. The dialogue in that is absolutely incredible. And then when you go to the bar scene, it's the same thing about an hour later where you're sitting in that bar and you've got the sort of the game of what's it called? The charades? No, uh, personal, I don't know. And celebrity heads. Celebrity heads, that's, that's it. it. And so you've got that being played and then that goes for ages and then you've got the confrontation between, I think it's Major Hellstrom is his name mm. and, and, and the, the, the English, English guys. 
that scene as well, that goes for like 20 minutes also. And it's just such inc- like incredible writing. The dialogue that's written into that, the suspense that builds through each of them. I can't think off the top of my head of the extended scenes of dialogue that are better than those two. No. He just does it so well. I mean, there's going to be so much for killer dialogue for our lingo. Bingo! We do. What else have you got? <laughs> um, how good is the score? Yes. It's like... I had a point about this. Yeah, because... It's like a mashup of all these different genres and time periods. That very first song has, for Elise, like a Beethoven musical piano number blended with what sounds like a, a Western yep. song. It just it frames the whole movie so well because it's really theatrical. Have, did you also notice that the music in this is used very sparingly? Mm, yes. And I think one of the things that, that, that goes back to the point that I was speaking about earlier is that because there's so much dialogue in this and such extended scenes of, of, of really, really long dialogue, there's sort of not a, there's not sp- space for this sort of barrage of music. It's mm. sort of the movie's actually very quiet in a lot of places. But the thing about that is it means that when the music does come along, it's incredible. So you were referencing that Western mm. sort of uh, uh, tune that comes in at the beginning with uh, through the title credits. sets the scene you've got this great picture that forms immediately in front of you in front of you but also in your head as well because you're sort of like you get thrust into this sort of like classic idea of cinema the second that you go into this movie yeah and then like later on i found probably the most effective use of music is when you've got shosana that's her name i got it right i got it out people come on is when she's preparing for the premiere and she's basically putting on like war paint yeah. almost. And then you've got... <laughs> That's awesome! I can't believe you tried to sing that. <laughs> that whole scene is brilliant. It's, but it's so effective because the music is used so sparingly that when it does come in... Mm. It sounds incredible rather than it's the music all the time and you're just switching from one track to another. Yeah, it's either the dialogue is moving the plot along or the song is the hero of that moment and it's moving the the whole plot along. The other thing that I thought that moves the plot along really well is they keep using this line. They're like, so what are you are you aware of what they call me and yeah. what are you aware of? So they make the other character explain who they are. Yeah, I like that. It's really good because Aldo does that when he's interrogating the soldier. And Lander does it at the beginning. Like, do you know what the, the people in France call me? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It's a really good device for just like not sitting there or not having, you know, the narrator basically explaining who this person is. Like that's used really sparingly as well. Can I give you something else that I had? Sure. So I think that Lander in this played by Christopher Waltz, this is an off the charts performance, isn't Incredible. it? Incredible. It's like I love the sort of – the true evilness of his intellect. He's mm-hmm. like, he's so intelligent, but there's like an absurdity with the sort of precision with everything that he does. It's like, can you think like when he's in the farm, like the way that he gets out the ink for his pen, it's so elaborate. And then like <laughs> the way that he drinks the milk, it's like he has to do the whole thing in one go in this very slow, deliberate fashion. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned before the ridiculous pipe that he gets out. <laughs> And then the way that he fusses over like the cream for the strudel when they're in the in the restaurant later on and all the, the little bits of articulation and he's this like total, total like evil maniac but like full of manners. Yes. 
Well, yeah, he's just he's just doing his job, so to speak. Like he's he talks about it in such business terms that interaction. He's like, you know, if you just cooperate, I can close your file. And oh, there's something else about duplication of work or something. And he's like, he's just talking about it like it's business, and he's like just trying to kill people. And so he's done this role a couple of times since. Most I think uh, notably in Spectre, mm. the most recent Bond film. And it's sort of you kind of you sort of know who he is, and you sort of know how that the whole act's going to go, I guess. But but by, by mm. the time you reach that movie, but when you get it that first time in this, you're like, oh my god, this guy is unbelievable. Yeah, I had a question about this because he won the uh, the award for best supporting actor. Yes, but he's the only character that's in every single chapter of this film. Yeah, and when you're watching it, I feel way more like I know it's not centered around his. Like you're not following his story. But he feels more like the main actor than anybody else. Yeah, because like he's in it far more than Brad Pitt is. Yes. Yeah. I don't feel like Brad. Yeah, and he's probably the main actor because he's the hero, I guess. But I don't know why. Yeah, Christopher Waltz wasn't the main. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So can I speak about speak about Brad Pitt for a couple of seconds? <laughs> yes, you know a few quotes. His voice in this is so good. <laughs> Brad Pitt playing this like absurd. Yes. Lieutenant yes. with this ridiculous voice ordering people around just and says the word Nazis every 15 seconds. There's something so good about seeing Brad Pitt in this. I love him in this. So good. I think it also speaks to like a lot of the characters, if you think about it in this, they're pretty huge in the, their, their presence and the, mm. like the scope of their character and they're, they're so extreme and exaggerated but somehow like that works in this. Yeah. So you've got like obviously you've got Aldo but played by Brad Pitt and then you've got Lander by Christopher Waltz. Then Hitler is like just off the charts. <laughs> <laughs> like a bratty little child. Yeah. It's just absurd but somehow it works in this. Yeah. And I then- had a point on that as well because Mike Myers – is in this. Yeah. He's like the English captain or whatever he yeah. is. And it's really absurd because you, I, I can't hear that voice that he's putting on and not think of Austin Powers. Yeah, I know. And he orders a whiskey like he's taking the piss out of James Bond. He's yeah. like, whiskey, straight, no junk in it. You're like, what the, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> and then the other one is the bear Jew. Like they've created yeah. a character about a Jew who is going to kill Nazis by using their heads as baseballs. Yes. Do you know who was who was approached to play that role? Who? You'll never guess. Go on. Adam Sandler. What? <laughs> oh, imagine that. Can you imagine him doing the Happy Gilmore golf swing? <laughs> I actually watched a deep fake YouTube video with him put on it and when he's coming out of the tunnel in that scene, he's like doing that penguin speech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> penguin. <laughs> Tapping this bat and just yelling penguin over. It's really good. That's so good. That's so good. Have you got anything else for, for perfect? <laughs> um, I think you covered that, like Shoshana and uh, Lander in the, the cafe with the strudel and all of that. That yep. whole scene is just so tense. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, but I read, I randomly read. Before this- you go on, can I just interrupt with one little bit from that scene yeah. that is unreal? Yeah. So she gets brought in by uh, Zola, who's mm. the star of the, the movie that's being shown in the premiere in the cinema. Mm-hmm. And she's getting introduced to the people at the table and she gets introduced to the head of propaganda for the Nazis and her wife. And they're sort of introduced as these super sophisticated, articulate people. And then the camera flashes to the two of them going at it doggy style. And she just sort of shakes it off like, oh, okay, why did that come to my mind? There's this like 
comedic thing to that that's yeah. just so funny. You and I watched it yeah. and it was just like the two of us just looked at each other and just started pissing ourselves. Like, what the hell? I don't remember that so bit at good. all. Anyway, continue. I was just going to say about her, I read a review of this movie that said, um, that mentioned, like when it's describing the three main characters, Hans Lander, Aldo Rain and Shoshana, and in it, this person was like, Shoshana flirts with Zola in a calculating way. I'm like, that's that's not at all what's happening, you asshole. Like, he's being a sex pest and she's not even being polite. No, but at the at the end, she's kind of tricks him though, remember? Yeah, but that's not flirting. She literally says, close the door. Yeah, but like he, <laughs> because he's stupid, that's the yeah. point. So he thinks she, she is and she's like, I'm going to make pretend that I'm going to have sex with you and make you lock the door and I'm going to turn around and shoot you. Yeah. Yeah, but he falls for it. Yeah, because he, he's an idiot. But I think it's really – it's it's perfect because she doesn't flirt with him. That's the whole point. Like she's so rude to him. She's barely even being – and he says something like, I'm just trying to be friends. She's like, I don't need any fucking friends. Yeah. Like leave me alone. She's very cold and calculating yeah. but also like extremely ruthless. Yep. And it's another one of these movies that I actually was thinking about this earlier. Like when we covered Mad Max Fury Road mm. and um, Charlize Theron's character in that – is like super precise and so many of the men are shown with being these sort of like rage-filled idiots that just shoot stuff into the air. This is actually kind of similar in a way. Yeah, She's this very, very precise person who only needs to get the job done and they've got like blokes in it being pretty ridiculous and taking blokes' heads off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're going over the top for sure. So before we get to imperfection, time for a quick break. Hey guys, just a super quick break to let you know about how you can get involved in the podcast. If you're not already, get following us on Instagram at Movie2Podcast. It's already a really fun account, we promise. But best yet, we're taking suggestions on Instagram for movies that you'd love to hear us cover with an episode of this podcast. As we mentioned earlier, this Tarantino epic was a suggestion over on our account, and we're always on the hunt for more. So head over to at Movie2Podcast on Instagram and get involved. Also, We'd love if you left us a quick rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the pod and puts a huge smile on our faces. So head over to Apple, do that for us, follow us on Instagram, and tell your significant other about us. After all, that's the whole point of this podcast. That's all for now. Back to Inglorious Bastards. All right, we're back. Time for imperfection. Danny, do you want to kick us off? I only have one. Oh, I've got a few. Okay. Okay. Maybe you go first. Can I rattle through? Mm -hmm. So I had the Weinstein thing. Mm-hmm. That you yeah. had imperfection, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, you, being called a bastard by the titles, I like that. I just the, the presence of his name up front. Yeah, you're just like, oh, fuck that guy. You can't escape it though. That's the thing. And then I've got some more sort of quirky or just sort of little side notes, and then one question to throw at you for an imperfection point. Okay. All right, I like the running order of this. Yeah. <laughs> so when they're in the bar, yes, the guys that are drinking beer that are all pissed, mm-hmm. they're basically drinking beer out of kettles. Kettles? They're these metal things with lids. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. That looks like a really crap way to drink a beer. <laughs> like little goblets, but not goblets. Yeah. 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 It's just I can't imagine that being a satisfying experience. And then the other guy has a shoe or like a glass shaped as a shoe. Yeah, I mean, that's more perfect because, <laughs> yeah, that, that's good. Then also in that scene, mm-hmm. you know how you've got uh, Fassbender, who's the, that's the actor's name, is playing, um, uh, oh, what's the guy's name? I've got it written down. Uh, one sec- uh, Archie Hickox, the, Hickox. The, the English guy. Mm-hmm. And him and Bridget von Hammersmark, mm-hmm. they're just discussing their plans openly in the bar. Yes. It's like there's a sort of, there's an unnecessary element to that. It's like you've just got to hold up appearances and, and then, then get leave. out of there. Uh-huh. But they then, they then go about sort of discussing their plans. in the bar. I know it doesn't get found out that way, but yeah. there's no need to do th- that in there. It's yeah, just- I was sitting there thinking the same thing, actually. Just wait until you've left and then divulge the information. Yeah. 
And then, you know, the uh, the classic scene, and we'll get to some of the, the dialogue from this, but the Italian scene where they're <laughs> st- they're in the, uh, the, the cinema hall. The lobby, yeah. Yeah, the, the lobby trying to get in and Landers asking them about their <laughs> names and asking them to speak Italian. But he keeps telling them to sort of repeat things or how do I pronounce this, that and the other, and he's talking to them in Italian. None of them speak Italian, <laughs> but somehow they know what it is that's being asked of them. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, because Brad Pitt even responds. He's like, uh, correcto. Yeah, exactly, but they don't understand any. Mm. So I had that. Have, have you got anything before I keep going? Well, yeah, mine's about the bar scene. Okay, go. Because everyone recognises Stiglitz, the like. Yep. But Hellstrom doesn't. He's sitting right next to him, the SS guy. Yes. Yeah. He's he- si- Is he SS? I don't know, whoever he is. He's sitting right next to the guy who's the most recognisable, like, traitor yes. in the German army and he doesn't recognise Yeah, it. it's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. Mm. Um, so one of the other things that I had, sort of speaking of Hellstrom, and this goes back to Lander as well, is that there's a sort of quite a strange way in that these two guys in particular, Hellstrom and Lander, are depicted as very, very smart and very intelligent. They pick up on a lot of things, very sort of they're quizzing you with every sentence, sort of driving into what it is that you're saying, trying to uncover any weakness in your story, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And yet you've got these two sort of almost geniuses that are part of the Nazis, and yet the head of the Nazis is a blubbering idiot. (laughs) Does that sound a bit like America? Yes, it does, actually. (laughs) But, like, Hitler in this is like this blubbering idiot. Yes. And it's like you've got the blubbering idiot in charge of these these geniuses. Yeah. There's a sort of something about that that doesn't quite... And they're all like, you're not allowed to mention his name around me again. Yeah. And you're like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Stop being a child. One of the other ones that I had was also Bridget von Hammersmark. Mm-hmm. When they're in the bar, she's very good at keeping up the act and going through with her story and sort of fending off people and then going back to her side. Plays the part or plays the bit very well yeah. in terms of the plot and the way that they're trying to sort of conspire. Then when they get to the movie premiere... Lander just totally rattles her and she's got like no story in comparison. Like she totally loses like any ability to do what she's just done in the movie I five minutes earlier. I completely agree. Why did she go along with a mountain climbing accident story? Yeah. Just think of something much better. Yes. Yeah. There was a sort of like sh- she got like like 50% dumber in the space of five minutes. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. She was so good at the start and I was thinking that for like who would you be mates with? Then I'm like, no, she turns stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Friend that gets progressively stupid is not the one you want to hang around. But Christoph Waltz's reaction to her like mountain climbing story is so good. When he walks away and spins around, yeah, yeah, it's great. Laughing his head off. So, do you have anything else before I ask you my final question on this? No. So, I've got just in imperfection, and this is not me making a statement about this, more just asking how do we feel about this. Okay. Do you have a sort of a broader issue with the way that Tarantino is sort of rewriting history in this and adding a layer of comedy and absurdity to a topic that's pretty horrific. It's it's a tough time to be talking about this kind of stuff because like if anyone's watched that Sasha Baron Cohen um, speech, he talks about jokes are only funny when everyone has a mutual understanding of the truth. Yeah. And so this is very topical to that. It's like everyone knows Nazi's bad. Okay, you can do what you like with it. And he's not trying to like retell, like as I said before, not retell history. He's giving it an alternate ending and he's not doing anything too absurd that like like he was Tarantino was in an interview saying if a German soldier had done what Zola did, they would have made a propaganda film about it. Yeah. And then maybe they would have had this like maybe this could have happened. Yeah. It's not like it's yeah, I don't think he's trying to say anything about 
the war or Nazis or whatever. I think he's saying a lot more about the film industry and just film in general. Yeah, I didn't have a, a problem with it uh, myself. Mm. I was just sort of something that sort of needed a little bit of hashing out. Yeah, yeah. He does like to do it, so it does come up a lot in conversation, doesn't it? Our next segment, which is awesome for this movie, it is called Lingo Bingo. However, the best part is, is because in this movie, you get Lander who goes, Ooh, that's a bingo. Is that the way you say it? That's a bingo. You just say bingo. Bingo! How fun! <laughs> Is that how you say it? <laughs> no, we just say bingo. <laughs> bingo! So people that have listened to now will uh, know that Lingo Bingo is essentially made up of three categories that relate to language. And if we get all three, we get bingo. So we've got killer dialogue, lovable jargon, and lines and phrases that have entered everyday language. Now, killer dialogue with this... We could go on for hours here. Full of it. <laughs> we'll keep it. We'll keep it to our sort of our favourites. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to start? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. You're already laughing. Yeah. Uh, you didn't say the goddamn rendezvous was in a fucking basement. I didn't know. You said it was in a tavern. It is a tavern. Yeah, in a basement. <laughs> you know, farting in a basement offers a lot of difficulties. Number one being you're farting in a basement. <laughs> Did I get the accident? Yes. Yes. You got it. I wonder if it was better than mine at the start. I'd like to hear the recordings back on those shortly. <laughs> um, so one of mine is is from the start. It's uh, it's just one of the uh, Lander's really brilliant little sort of uh, pieces of intellect that sort of that says a lot in quite a few words. And when he's talking about the fact that he's asking about the the particular Jewish group that he's after, he's asking whether uh, Lapidite the farmer has heard anything about them. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, have, have you heard anything? And he says, oh, only rumours. And he goes, um, I love rumours. Facts can be so misleading, whereas rumours, true or false, are often revealing. Yeah. It's like a little sentence that says so much. It's such a brilliant little ri- bit of writing that. He rhymes a lot, actually, I noticed. Yeah, he does a At, bit. In the last speech he gives when he's like, um, when he's captured Aldo, he rhymes a lot in that too. It's quite quirky. And then uh, for the other bit, uh, of killer dialogue that comes pretty soon after that is just Aldo's speech mm-hmm. in front of the guys. He's got them all lined up <laughs> and you've just got this like A-grade movie star who, you know, for, at this point he's, you know, so this comes out in 2009. He's been around for the best part of 15, 18 years or so by this point, played some huge roles. He's one of the most famous people on the planet. And then he's in this movie playing this sort of like over-the-top absurd moron yeah. that's from the army. Who's just going for it? And I love every single bit of, of the the whole monologue is brilliant. Business is a booming. <laughs> what else have I you got? I think that's later on, actually. Um, well, if this is it, old boy, I hope you don't mind if I go out speaking the kings. This has got to be. Has, is that the coolest line in movie history? It's so good. So when he's sitting in the bar, I just want to have a crack at it myself after you've said that. Okay, now. go. Well, if this is it, old boy, I hope you don't mind if I go out speaking the kings. <laughs> <laughs> and then they get the whiskey because uh, he knows he's about to die. Uh-huh. And so he goes, there's a special rung in hell deserved for people who waste good scotch. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, damn good stuff, sir. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. And then even going on from that, that whole bit where he's like, now about this pickle we find ourselves in, it would appear there's only one thing left for you to do. And what would that be? Stiglitz? Say your vitas to your nutty balls. <laughs> it, just, it like speeds up rapidly at that where you're like, whoa. 
<laughs> and then soon after that, you've got so they come out of that scene. And there, uh, Bridget von Hammersmark is getting her leg fixed up with the bullet that she's uh, mm. where she's being shot. And they're talking about how they're going to go to the film premiere and their <laughs> their revised plan where they're going to speak Italian. Ah, uh, Italian. Ah, uh, Italian. And uh, <laughs> because the because the German ear apparently doesn't pick up sort of the differences in Italian uh, the, the Italian accent so well. I'd like to know if that's true. And so uh, Brad Pitt goes, "Well, I speak the most Italian, so I'll be your escort." Donowitz speaks the second most, so he'll be your Italian cameraman. And Hershberg, third most, so he'll be Donnie's assistant. I don't speak Italian. Like I said, third most. <laughs> Matter of fact, stop practicing. <laughs> and then next after that, when they're going through it and saying all of their names in front of Lander, Golami. How was that? Golami. Once again, Golami. Yeah. I love it. He whispers that rather than shouting it. It's really just, oh. What are the other two as well? <laughs> Margareti. And Dominic de Coco. <laughs> How'd it go again? Dominic de Coco. <laughs> and we're both doing the hand actions at the same time. Because that's what he does yeah. in the movie. It's so good. <laughs> Margareti. So have you got anything else before we move on to the other two I mean, bits? most of these are Aldo's lines. The other bit at the very end where Aldo shoots the after they've made the deal and he's like, you'll be shot for this. And Aldo just, nah, I don't think so. More like shoot out. I mean shoot out for. <laughs> you and I both laughed at that. He? <laughs> He's so good. He does not care about any rules whatsoever. That's brilliant. So if we move on there from killer dialogue to lovable jargon mm. in our attempt to get, that's a bingo. <laughs> I actually couldn't think of anything for this. There's a lot of film references. Okay. Have you got a, have you got a couple? Well, I didn't write the names. I mean, there was a lot of talk of sort of 35, the, oh, sorry, the flammable nature nitrate of nitrate film. Of nitrate film and that sort of thing. I'm just not sure it's, it's jargon. But then there's also when the English guy, he's getting briefed on Operation Kino, which just means Operation Cinema. Yeah. Like it's literally a direct translation, so that's a bit stupid. Um they mention like all these German and Jewish film directors and stuff and like the names of like Margareti, you know, they're Italian, they're actually Italian directors. I don't know if that counts. I was, this was a point that I was going to ask you about. Do you think that Tarantino was making a statement in this about the importance of cinema? Yes. In this sort of, you've got this like middle of the war and the whole thing sort of boils down to directors and propaganda people Mm -hmm. and and movie names and things being done in cinemas and, and, and all of that. Yeah, I thought he was making a little bit of a statement about the importance of cinema in that. Definitely. And they all burn down in a film, watching a film about their own crappy pop- propaganda. So I actually hadn't thought of that. So I, I think we're going to hit pass on that because now that I think of it, there is a lot of chat about cinema-based stuff. Yes. Which can tick the box of jargon yeah. and it's done in a really, really good fashion. Because I think about jargon as anything that is a word I hear but does not sink in whatsoever. Yeah, it's like specific to a topic, but it doesn't make sense when you take it out of that topic. Yeah, a, yeah. just skip over it. So, okay, we're going to tick two boxes there, which means that we go to our third category, lines and phrases that have entered everyday language. I didn't have anything for this. Yeah, I think this is where we fall down. I really wanted to get bingo because I wanted to be able to say, that's a bingo! <laughs> We've said it enough though, probably. I oh, know, but I wanted to be able to celebrate doing it. <laughs> I don't think it... I don't think there's anything that's come out of this that people just use in everyday conversation, not like stuff no. that we've covered in other movies where, you know, like the Home Alone one in our first episode, mm. you know, stuff that's come out of that that people say all the time, stuff being printed on Christmas jumpers and all yeah. sorts of stuff. I don't think anything that's come out of this is just used in everyday conversation. No. Like most people know the 
Gorlami. Like, but a lot of people say it, but you can never bring that up in just general conversation. No, you're not just going <laughs> to drop it into a conversation and people to be like, yeah, that fits in what I'm saying here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, no bingo. So that's going to take us to our next segment, segment, which is... Name that bitch. We've explained it enough times. We're just going to get straight into it. Okay. Who have you got? All right. Frederick Zoller. Yeah, so oh, I was going to throw this one at you. <laughs> so you know who he is? Yeah, oh, but um, and I guess the, the challenge is do we have the sort of same thing that he's from? He's oh. Nicky Louder in Rush. Yes, that's what I had. Yeah, I recognised him straight away because this oh, is one of those little things that I'm quite good at is yeah. picking people and sort of what else are they, oh. are they from. Yes. I thought you wouldn't recognise him in a Nazi uniform. <laughs> no, I, I definitely recognised him. In, okay. And I love that. I think I've seen Rush three or four times as well. We might cover that at some point in this in this podcast. Yeah, for sure. So uh, the other one that I have, which I think that you might have as well, because there's a few of these, but I thought these were the two best ones, mm-hmm. is Leah Sado. Sado? No. I, oh, so she's a, a French actress, I'm pretty sure. Oh, is she the, the one who plays uh, Shoshana? No. Oh. No. So, so she is one of La Petite's daughters in at the farm scene at the beginning. Oh, the, the one the, that gets the most screen time? Yes, the one that uh, Landa looks at like a creep. She does look – she did look so familiar. Is she in like a Bourne or something like that? Pretty close. <gasps> She's in another movie that features Christopher Waltz. She in Bond. She's the Bond girl inspector. She's the Bond girl inspector. Oh, that's a great one. Well done. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So moving on to our next one. I think we both got each other then. That's pretty good. Uh, Our next one is who could you be mates with? So if you brought someone from this movie into the real world, which of them could you be mates with? I thought this was a little bit tough, but I'm interested in what your take is here. Because you're either choosing between... Nazis. Or people that are taking Nazis' heads off. Yes. Yep. It's pretty tough. So I went for someone that wasn't doing either of those things, although I went for Shoshana. Okay. Because, I mean. Good choice. Yes. Yep. Because she might come in handy if we end up in World War Three. Yeah, she really might. <laughs> I mean, we're not far off it by the sounds of it. I don't read much news, but. And like you said before, it's all, like, she's probably the hero of this. Like, do you think that the whole burning down, like, the Nazis and the war doesn't end if she doesn't burn down the cinema. No, I think she is the hero in this film. Yeah. Yeah. I Like I was thinking about that earlier because I think that in some way, particularly in some reviews that I've read about this, they did sort of uh, sort of pigeonhole Brad Pitt as the as the sort of the kind of hero in this. Mm. I actually don't think that's true. I think she's quite clearly the, the hero in this, don't you? Yeah, because cl- like she's the one who organises to get the doors locked and without the doors locked, the two guys, Margaretti and De Coco, they don't get to just stand there and shoot everybody. Yeah. So uh, I went for slightly different. So I went for Archie Hickox, who's the, the, the English guy. He loves scotch. <laughs> he and I are going to get on really well. You definitely would. He, I did like him. He was just in it for such a small amount of time. He, he and I would spend a lot of time sitting around in whiskey bars, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of swilling our drinks. and, and Speaking the kings. Speaking the kings. <laughs> I must say, damn good stuff, sir. <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. So uh, our final segment mm-hmm. is prequel, sequel, or spin-off. So if one of these was to come along, what would you like and what would you like it to be about? I picked spin-off. Okay. But it's set before the um, Inglorious Bastards. Okay. So you know at the very end when Hans Lander has caught Aldo and <laughs> Aldo's like, I've done my share of bootlegging up here and if you engage in what the federal government calls illegal activity, but we just call... Just a man trying to make a living for his famous moonshine liquor. <laughs> it behooves oneself to keep his wits. I was like, I want to see him selling moonshine. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah. So I went for um, a, a slightly different one. 
but I kind of wanted to see, similar to you, because you're talking about something that's sort of set back in the US, mm-hmm. I would have liked to see, so you know how Lander makes his deal and he makes his deal in order to be able to sort of go to America and become a citizen and all Nantucket of that. Nantucket Island specifically. Yeah. So I thought it'd be interesting to see how that then plays out ah. as a sequel. So one of the things about World War Two and, and World Wars and, 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 and the Nazis is that I, I guess at least in popular culture or stuff that's sort of consumed a lot, there's not sort of been a lot sort of told or portrayed about the way that Nazis that survived the war mm. attempted to sort of disown that history and blend back in to mm. society after the war. Yes. And so with Tarantino's sort of knack for sort of revisiting history but rewriting it, I'd sort of like to see him tackle that subject and he's sort of like – you know, that habit for sort of highlighting something in a really sort of flamboyant way. And I think that sort of seeing Lander sort of going to these sort of painstaking lengths and his really, really sort of, you know, hyper sort of, you know what I mean, yeah. that, that way that he does things and sort of seeing him go to those lengths to try and blend back into an American society that absolutely loathes him would make for a really good sequel. And I, I can see Tarantino doing it as well. That would be really good actually. Even seeing just like other people that like went along with the Nazis but didn't believe in it, kind of like that angle of, yeah, that would be really interesting. So that brings us to a close. Danny, thank you. Thank you. We'll be back again next week with another episode of Movie for Two. But until then, follow us on Instagram at Movie for Two Podcast. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple. And most importantly, tell your friends about us. That's all for now. You've been listening to the Movie for Two Podcast, and there's only one thing left to say. You know something, you bitch? I think this just might be my masterpiece.